Johannes Brahms came from a line of stubborn men. His father, Jakob, had had to run away from home three times to study music. He played bass in Hamburg, mostly in pubs, and it was into poverty. On May 7, 1833, in an alley stuffed with half-timbered, high-gabled tenement houses that Johannes Brahms destined to become the third B of music, his image carved into concerthouse walls alongside those of Bach and Beethoven was born. His father began him on orchestral instruments, but Hannes, stubborn too, for three years demanded piano lessons until his father relented. His piano teachers were enchanted by this barefoot boy who attacked the piano with a vision and had invented his own notation to write down the music in his head. Brahms admired Bach and Beethoven, but as he grew up, the world of music changed. In an age of competing pianists, Franz Liszt took the world by storm. Liszt plays at sight what the rest of us toil over, exclaimed Clara Schumann. With long hair, capes, gloves, cigars, and fans fainting at his concerts, Liszt was the first rock star. After touring for a decade, he settled in Weimar, taught and wrote tone poems, not tied to the forms of the past or to Beethoven's developmental style. His co-founder in the new school, Wagner, pronounced symphonies dead. A Hungarian violinist, Edward Remenyi, hired the 17-year-old Brahms to be his accompanist and took him to meet the master. Liszt swept into the room. Play something for us, he said, and when Brahms declined, continued, well, then I suppose I must play. He took from Brahms the manuscript of Brahms' new scherzo, put it on the piano, and did what always amazed everyone. He played it perfectly at sight. One of his students then asked if the master wouldn't play one of his own compositions. Liszt had been playing for some time when he happened to glance up and see Brahms in the chair he had taken, fast asleep. It seemed Brahms would not be joining the new school, after all. He would present himself to the opposing, more traditional camp. He visited the Schumanns. Here comes one as though sent by God, wrote Clara in her diary. 
He played sonatas and scherzos of his own composition, all of them rich. Robert could think of no reason to suggest a single change. New Paths was the title of the article Robert wrote in his music journal heralding Brahms as the future savior of music, one who, at long last, might pick up the mantle of the old masters. Robert Schumann would shortly suffer a mental breakdown. Brahms would rush back to help take care of the Schumann's large family so that Clara would be able to earn a living as a touring concert artist. During the two and a half years Schumann was in an asylum, Brahms and Clara fell in love. Robert Schumann died on July 29, 1856. Brahms and Clara took a trip to try to sort out their feelings. But Brahms felt the pull of destiny. He needed to be alone. I saw Johannes off at the station today, Clara wrote in her diary. It felt as though I were coming home from a second funeral. Brahms' first symphony would determine his place in history. It would be compared with Beethoven, music itself seeming to hang in the balance. You can't imagine the pressure of hearing Beethoven's footsteps, he said. It would be 20 years before Brahms presented his first symphony to the world, but when he did, it stood. Even Wagner's inner circle called it Beethoven's Tenth. Far from abandoning Beethoven's developmental style, Brahms outdevelops Beethoven. Take the first three notes of his second symphony. Those three notes, just a half step back and forth leading to the next downbeat, will develop throughout the entire work. It's in the first section, wrap up. And in the development proper. The slow movement has its own beautiful melody, 
but the back and forth three notes are here too. In the jocular scherzo, he changes the rhythm so much you might not recognize that the same three back-and-forth notes into the downbeat are here, but they are. But mostly, they are everywhere in the finale. Join Edo Duvard and the San Diego Symphony for the season finale, Brahms' Second Symphony, Bernstein's Candide Overture, and the Poulenc Double Concerto. And if you'd like to learn more about the music on the program, join me in the hall 45 minutes before the concert for What's the Score? I'm Navi Mehta, and I'll see you there. ¶¶